Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I'm Lauren O'Neill. And we're about to get biblical. Let's get biblical. Let's. (laughs) Great comeback. Thank you. So, uh, real quick, stuff you gotta know. I'm the ex-Christian, was raised Presbyterian, taught Sunday School for four years, sang in the worship band, now an atheist. Also, I am the non-believing sort of Jew, and this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. So if you're looking for that, please run away quickly. Or stay Uh, (laughs) and tell all your friends. About the blasphemy you've Mm -hmm. heard. Uh, Also not appropriate for children. And uh, I'm reading the new international version, just FYI. And I'm reading the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, but Lauren. Yeah? Shut up for a second. Okay. And answer my question. Okay. What book are we reading this week? And I'm so sorry I told you to shut up just a second ago. Today we're reading the book of First John, a.k.a. John's first epistle to the Johnians. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. First epistle to the Johns. It you thought is. we covered all of the Mary Magdalene stuff last week, but it's not true. This is the first of the three Johannine epistles. <laughs> That's what they're called. Okay. It's like the Pauline. I guess it's probably Pauline. Mm-hmm. I maybe prefer, it's Johannine. I don't know. They should just call it John Boy. John Boy epistles. Mm-hmm. As we know from most of the rest of the New Testament, an epistle is a letter. The ones in the Bible are usually sent to churches or pastors to give them instructions on stuff they should do, mm-hmm. which doctrine they should believe and which is heretical and Gnostic and dirty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how they should appoint clergy and shit like that. You know, y'all have to take communion at the same time. <laughs> Can't have people showing up early and getting drunk off all the communion wine and then other people show up and there's none left. Uh, supposedly, according to tradition, this book is written by like the actual disciple John, mm-hmm. who is one of uh, the top three Jesus' favorite three disciples, which were Peter, James and John. Does that mean he's number three, right? Um, Anytime you're a member of the top three, you are the third. (laughs) Uh, No, I think he's like tied for second (laughs) with James. And if you read the Gospel of John, also supposedly by John, he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Does that imply that he didn't love the other disciples? I I think it implies he's the favorite, but it's supposedly written by him. So you got to factor that in. Mm -hmm. And that is also supposed to be the author of Revelation, which Mm. we haven't gotten to yet. Although it's said that that's who wrote them. We can, you know, we can safely assume that it wasn't actually the disciple John who wrote them. Seems a little unlikely. Um, But it's possible that the same person wrote all three Johannine epistles. Mm. It's possible that that's the same person who wrote the Gospel of John. Um, I guess it's probably not the same as the guy who wrote Revelation. Uh, People aren't really sure. It's also possible that it is by someone who was named John who just got confused with other Johns. This is the same problem we saw with Mary, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that it was an extremely popular name at the time. There's all kinds of Johns running around, and, uh, you know, before everybody can read real good, it's it's possible that this was actually written by John, and mm-hmm. it just got, you know, some files got mixed up or whatever. Probably written around, around, around 100 CE. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in Greek, standard fast facts stuff. And uh, that's the end of the fast facts. Nice. Great work. 
Were they fast enough for you? I mean, they could have been faster. All right. I've heard about enough of you. Chapter one. We usually see that epistles open with some version of, you know, hey, we're all Christians. Jesus rules. We do get that here, but it's a lot weirder than usual. I agree. Uh, It opens with that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the father and has appeared to us. And so on and so on. It actually does sound somewhat like the Gospel of John. Mm. Like I wouldn't be that surprised if that was the same author. So apparently, based on the notes in my Bible, mm-hmm. which I usually read the Oxford NRSV, mm. which is a more studied Bible, mm-hmm. ecumenical, one might call it, because that's what it says on the cover. All right. They say that the closest comparison to the style of uh, of writing in, in this book and in the other John Boy writings. Right, right. The is, John Boy literature. Is Hebrew poetry. Hmm. Which is famous for not only its uh, sort of cyclical nature, where uh-huh. you keep repeating things over and over again, and then you sort of advance the repetition right, right. until it like encompasses greater meaning, but also for its uh, sort of directness. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm sure they know more about it than I do. <laughs> um, but like, I feel like a lot of the Hebrew poetry that we saw in the Old Testament mm-hmm. was had a lot more like imagery it had really great images and metaphors and oh totally I, and i think it's not wasn't really going to be the case here necessarily referring to uh the style of the writing but uh-huh. more the structure of it oh okay yeah, yeah i did read that, that that it's very like structured but it's hard to tell in the english translation hmm. but that's interesting uh thanks thanks for tossing me the pity injury <laughs> no look if anything is about translation syntax poetic structure i genuinely find it interesting that's why i make everybody suffer through the etymology corner in any case chapter one also introduces uh this main metaphorical theme of the book which is that sin equals darkness and jesus equals light and if you believe in jesus you walk in the light and all your sins are forgiven uh If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Mm -hmm. Whoop. (laughs) What does that mean? It means, you know, uh, hey, if we claim we have not sinned, Uh listen up, people who are claiming that they haven't sinned. Right, 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 right. I think it's a a little passive aggressive jab there. Nice. I love the first line in chapter two. Uh, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Plan A, don't sin. Plan B, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, he sort of waffles on this a little bit because he's like, everybody is a sinner. Sin is in the world. Mm -hmm. It's the creation of the devil. And he's simply always going to get through to you. So the real amazing thing about Jesus is he will forgive you for all your sins, obviously. But there's lots of exhortations not to sin as yeah, well. Yeah. So it's like, well, what do you want from me? I know man, it man? is it is a little um, philosophically inconsistent. But Philosoph- I, I would say there's another line in there that seems very inconsistent to me. It says, "Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
Yet I am writing you a new commandment yes. <laughs> that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What? Yes, I think he's getting very Buddhist here. Uh, you know, it's like, is command old? Is it new? Well, is anything old or new? Is it all just a continual uh, cycle of rebirth? I understand. But he doesn't ask that question. He says, I am <laughs> not writing you a new commandment. I am writing you a new commandment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, because it's like. Both, you know, at the same time when you think about it. You know what? <laughs> I cracked this case wide open. That's right. <laughs> um, he also says you need faith and works. Mm. Uh, giving giving support to the Catholic uh, way of doing things, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> Says, whoever says I know Jesus, but have we does, ever talked about the Bible or Christianity? Whoever before? It really says, seem like it. Whoever says I know Jesus, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But then, of course, everybody's going to sin. But, but then, of course, don't sin. But Plan B is Jesus. But I'm giving you a new commandment. But it's also an old commandment. Yeah, some classic, classic stuff in there. Now, I get a little random poem here about why he's writing this letter. Mm -hmm. uh, it says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning, etc., etc. It's uh, not particularly interesting, and I don't understand why it's formatted like a poem. Yeah, you know, one of the things that was mentioned about Hebrew poetry is it often includes uh, paired statements that are related. Yes, we definitely saw that in the Old Testament. Totally. So you write part of it to the parents and part of it to the children. Uh -huh. But I guess that that rhetorical device is used even in the prose sections of this letter. I'd say quote unquote prose because... The only difference is the formatting. Yeah, totally. I, and I don't understand why it's formatted differently. Let's see. Don't love the world. It's evil and dark. Mm -hmm. uh, Christians should be apart from the world in God's light. Uh, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. Easy. So easy. Baby, did you know that you're the Antichrist? I mean, lots of people are the Antichrist. Did you ever think you'd make it this far as an Antichrist? The world is majority Antichrists. When you were just a tiny little Antichristling, studying hard at Antichrist school, did you ever think you'd really grow up? I went to Antichristian college. Yeah. Antichristian college. Um, it gets it gets pretty repetitive here. Uh, the whole thing is repetitive, and honestly, one of the more difficult books to read, like that I've ever seen it's in the Bible. It's interesting because it's very simple and yet difficult to read because it, it's so repetitive. It turns into mush instantly in your brain. Yeah. Um, you know, the world is bad. Uh, let's see, Christians got to be apart from the world in the light. The world is dark. Don't sin. Oh, um, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. That is um, very similar to the Gospel of John. Right. Where Jesus acts like an emo teenager and he's like, you guys could go to Jerusalem for Passover, but the world hates me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that This part is kind of a strange sentiment to me. And I don't know how widespread sort of the reflection of this sentiment is in Christianity as a whole. But the, the passage goes... In my translation, do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. Seems like a pretty intense condemnation of not just 
people who aren't practicing Christians, but people mm-hmm. who aren't like doing the rules right, the exact right kind of Christian. Yeah, um, seems a bit extreme for the early church to, in my mind, but well, if he says everyone who doesn't believe is a murderer, I mean, Jesus did say if you feel anger, mm-hmm. that's the same as murder. Not. I think Jesus' strongest point philosophically. <laughs> Especially when you're supposed to be forgiven for every sin. Well, I mean, I guess you, you just ask for forgiveness for the mind murder that you yeah, just committed. Yeah, for the mental murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would say that's like extremely widespread now. <laughs> now that we have a thousand denominations and they all think you only get to heaven by a certain prayer or a certain ritual, you know. Right. There is one good part here Mm -hmm. uh it is uh this verse this is how we know what love is this is how we do it (laughs) to all my neighbors Mm -hmm. you got much flavor jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them how can the love of god be in that person Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Mm. I think that's some good shit. That is good shit. And also, once again, the only thing that's consistent throughout the entire Bible, no matter when it was written or who it was written by, give your money to the poor. Mm -hmm. I think that is something that's like very potentially powerful about Christianity. Uh Is Is that that the consistency of that message? Yeah. And Jesus demonstrated such radical love. And such radical forgiveness that he was willing to be, like, tortured and killed for it, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, okay, and you can't, like, give a dollar to a homeless person, (laughs) you know? Like, like Jesus showed us what love is. It's being willing to fucking die to save people, and you won't give a dollar to a homeless person. Okay. Even leaving aside all the divinity stuff, if it was just an example of this one person who achieved something amazing in their human lifetime, it would be a, a powerful lesson. Agreed. Um, but then you throw some God <laughs> shit on top. Plus he's like three gods in now one. Now it's like mega super love. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also all sins forever forgiven. Plus he's going to go preach in hell. But also don't sin, but just in case you do, Jesus. Right. Uh, <laughs> don't think too hard about that either. John says that Jesus came to earth in the flesh. Mm-hmm. He was not a hologram. Mm. And if you think he was a hologram. You're a dirty Gnostic and the Antichrist also. That's right. You're just some sort of Gnostic sheep person. Sheep person. Mm-hmm. Or sheperson. Sheperson. The, the plural, plural of, of which, which is sheeple. Got yes. it. Yes. As in, wake up, sheeple. Sheeple, are you okay? Please, wake up. That's right. Uh, now we get to this interesting section. <laughs> interesting, uh, relatively speaking, uh, about how God is love. It... Uh, it re- repeats the phrase God is love multiple times and um, it kind of posits that God is like inseparable from love or or God defines love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like if you love people, then you must know God because that's the source of love. And if you don't love people, then you don't know God. Like they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're inseparable. Also in chapter four, John asks us to make sure we figure out which ghosts are telling us the truth which ghosts that's right beloved do not believe every spirit 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Oh. Which, frankly, <laughs> asks more questions than it answers. <laughs> How many spirits are these people encountering? Yes. And is there an efficient and effective God test for ghosts? For for ghosts and ghouls? Mm-hmm. For spectors. Um, yeah, it's called a Ouija board. And they had them back then, and they were the only way to justify or only way to figure out which spirits were from God. Right. You just, I mean, they were very simple back then. It was, it just, was just yes or no, right? Just yes or no. Nice. And you'd be like, are you from God? And then they'd say yes. And you'd be like, I don't know. Let's ask them again. <laughs> <laughs> of course, everyone knows that ghosts cannot lie more than once. They can't lie twice in a row. That's right. Um. <laughs> Chapter 5 uh, continues with this theme that God is love. Now, that brings up the, an interesting point about uh-huh. Ouija boards. Uh-huh. What if the ghosts are just lying? <laughs> what if the ghosts are just lying? Um, that's a good question. Well, what would Was they, that something that like mediums had to contend with a lot? What would they stand to gain from lying? I don't know. Watching you squirm? Watching you squirm. Mm-hmm. You know, building up your hopes and then breaking them down again? How does that help the ghost? It doesn't help the ghost, but let's say you're... why does it it help anybody? Ghosts are wandering around, as everyone knows, because they have unfinished business on Earth. Yeah. Let's say you're just some asshole. Okay. That has nothing to do with that person's... Done. I can imagine that very easily. You have nothing to do with that spirit's particular journey towards worldly fulfillment. Yeah, because he's probably from Victorian times, which is when all ghosts are from, for some reason. That's right. And so you have nothing to offer this ghost, but you, like an asshole, summon them with your Ouija board. Uh huh. And they're pissed because they're like, "Are you going to help me? Like, what if like you know, gain vengeance upon my brother who they murdered just want to spend eternity trolling people, you know, <laughs> and just giving them stupid answers or like having them trying to turn them against each other, you know, just for their own amusement." Um. Well, then <laughs> you you simply have to test them. That's what this whole Bible book is about, baby. By asking them, of course, the same question twice in a row. Of course. Mm-hmm. And the second answer is the, the true one. The true one. It's all right here in the Bible. <laughs> Chapter 5 goes on about uh, God is love. It says this is how we know that we... really we... want to talk about this? Because I got a lot of ghost material we can use right now. <laughs> all right. Give me your tight five on ghosts. Um, okay. God is love. Um, uh what else do we have here? Let me consult my notes. Oh, oh, are you ready for the controversy? Yeah, I guess so. Did yours have notes about the controversy or was it just like, I'm a normal Bible? No, it had notes about the controversy. Oh, okay. So this is the controversy. I'm a normal Bible. It's a, it's a little passage, John 5, 7 to 8, and it's called the comma Johannium or the Johannine comma. Now. In the New International Version, it is rendered thusly. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. However, if you look at the King James Version, it has, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. But that line does not start appearing in any versions of any Bible in any language until the 6th or 7th century. Mm. Um, and, of course, you know, we know that the earliest Christians didn't have the Trinity right. as we know it today. It was Those poor bastards. <laughs> it was cobbled. Now we have three gods for one. Yeah. Now we get a Think three in one. Think of the discounts. Deep, deep discounts. Spiritual discounts. Um, 
yeah, it was it was cobbled together to to kind of accommodate different branches and be like, okay, we're all just gonna get along. Um, With that perfect strained voice, that was like you're talking to your family or something. <laughs> I mean, that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. And uh, so either someone added this in later to be like, see, like the Bible says that here's the Trinity, mm-hmm. or maybe just some monk like wrote a note in the margin like, hey three things that's like father son and the holy spirit yeah and then the next monk that copied it was like part of the bible yeah now. because i mean we know of course we've talked about this briefly before that literacy was really different back then mm-hmm. and you were considered literate like if you just knew the alphabet and so it was very common for scribes who copied these kind of documents to like be able to copy letter for letter but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like read the words mm-hmm. and they wouldn't necessarily be able to tell like oh this part is commentary i can you know surmise from context because i can read right because that's my job is as a scribe i'm a big boy (laughs) right Um, that's what they were like yeah fuck uh, them probably interestingly this change was incorporated into the king james version which was like the first big like english translation the first big bible release um but it wasn't incorporated into other translations so like the English-speaking Christian world has this whole fucking controversy, and, like, no one else has this. Hmm. Isn't that weird? That is weird. So, like, <laughs> it's weird that people, like, English-speaking people will go to bat saying, like, this is definitely the literal Inspired word of God. and yeah. real and divine. Yeah. Right. And then, like, in the rest of the world, they're like, oh, that's not in my Bible, because <laughs> it wasn't added till 500 years later. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we get this last section. Uh, it's called Concluding Affirmations in mine. I know yours doesn't have the amazing section titles. Before we get to Concluding oh, Affirmations, okay. one thing I want to point out is the ending of that passage uh-huh. about the spirit and the water and the blood. Yeah. I got to say, if you want to make a word, let's say in this case, testimony, okay. mean absolutely nothing to me, uh-huh. put it in in this in this paragraph i'm gonna read this because it turned the word into nothing like it actually erased it from my mental dictionary amazing there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree if we receive human testimony the testimony of god is greater for this is the testimony of god that he has testified to his son those who believe in the son of god have the testimony in their hearts Those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And this is the testimony. God (laughs) gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. And this is the testimony. (laughs) Perfect. What about that? Don't you understand? How about that testimony, isn't it? (laughs) Really beautiful today, wouldn't you say? All right. Concluding affirmations. What's that that girl, that little girl who did the viral video? She's like in the mirror and she's like, I love myself. I love my family and I'm going to do great today. (laughs) That's the concluding affirmations. Um, I actually, I really like this bit. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. (laughs) There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. <laughs> so, first of all, 
I'm already com- I just confused really like, about what the fuck he's talking about. He needs to go back and clarify, like, whatever. He's, I guess, probably using a scribe mm-hmm. to take this down. And so he can't, like, just go back and edit. He has to be like, no, look, look, look. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this. Just FYI. Um, this is also, as far as I know, the only biblical basis for the idea of mortal sins, which they have in Catholicism, but not in Protestantism. Isn't um, mortal sin a really weird phrase? Mortal sin? Yeah. Well, it's a sin that leads to death. But that's not how it's used, right? Yeah, it is how it's used. But aren't, it, aren't the, aren't the, those aren't the deadly sins. No. That's confusing as fuck. That's the confusing part, yeah. There's a difference wait, wait. between who mortal, decided those names? The mortal sins. Get them on this sins. show. Have them explain <laughs> themselves, because that's stupid. Uh, well, the mortal sins is, is much earlier. Don't even try to explain that. That's just dumb. <laughs> There's mortal sins and venial sins, according to Catholics. And so the mortal ones, like, can't be forgiven or something. But they don't kill you. Well, they, they cause you to go to hell, which is, you know, the ultimate death. Oh, so we're are we talking about sins that that literally kill you or not? Oh, we're talking about sins that kill you by not letting you into heaven. Got it. So those are deadly sins. No. <laughs> the deadly sins are um you know, the seven the seven deadly sins, whatever, yeah. like lust. Are, those are not the mortal sins. Envy. No. A mortal sin is something that like you automatically go to hell. Sure. <laughs> which is like Well, I guess that would be pretty harsh if the deadly sins sent you to hell. Yeah, like there's you some, can't... There, Lots of things that people feel all the time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The mortal sins are like, like if you murder <sighs> somebody, you like get these people in a room together and get and this you, shit worked out. It's too confusing. It. Well, it's because I think the mortals, the like mortal sin part came from Latin, right? Mm. And then deadly sins like later. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even Catholic. I wasn't even raised Catholic. I can't talk about these things. In Protestantism, it's just you sin, you ask forgiveness, you go to heaven. Mm-hmm. You have to mean it when you ask forgiveness, but God can tell. So there's no such thing as a mortal sin. Seems a little blasphemous to say like, oh, God can't forgive that. You know, whatever. I don't know. I mean, Catholics are heretics, whatever. Uh, The last line in this book is, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. (laughs) That's it. Sweet. (laughs) Idols haven't been mentioned whatsoever before this. By the way, right before I go, (laughs) watch out for idols. By the way. Okay, bye. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of goodbyes. We're going to take a break, and then we'll be back with a a special guest to try and help us with this strange little book. Sounds great. See you in a minute. Bye. Bye.
Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we're talking about the book of First John. And uh, to help us make some sense of this simple yet complicated Johannine epistle, uh, we Elegantly are... Elegantly said. Like a real politician there. <laughs> we are um, welcoming our friend Blake Chastain. He is the host of the podcast Exvangelical, where he uh, interviews... Lots of different people about their faith journeys, uh, including us, uh, several months ago now. We're basically old friends. So, <laughs> hi, Blake. Welcome hi. to the podcast. Thanks very much. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you, and thank you so much for accommodating our schedule. Listeners, Blake is like, <laughs> had to like sneak out of his house late at night, <laughs> leaving his, his wife and child unprotected <laughs> to sneak into a church <laughs> And record a call with us. That's correct. <laughs> it's, it's I, I assume you left them with your revolver loaded. Yeah. Safety <laughs> off. <laughs> instructions. Yeah, we totally. That's the we, best way to yeah. keep people safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, Blake, we will uh, start by asking you the same thing we ask all of our guests, which is what is your religious background? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in uh, small town, Indiana. Um the town I'm from is uh, known for two things. Uh, Will Shorts, the crossword editor for the New York Times, <gasps> is from there. And uh, the book Ben-Hur was written there. Those are the two claims. <gasps> <of time. laughs> Wait, those are two great ones. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. Um, uh, and I grew up going to a small United Methodist church there. Um, and I had a, had a pretty good, you know, relationship uh, and like church life, I guess with my with my family. Um, one of the more form- formational things that happened uh, while we were um, there was uh, we every every summer my parents would use their vacation time and basically have us all go to this same town in South Carolina um, where we would help build homes for people in need. Uh, in this uh, small community. Um, and it was neat um, because it was actually this it, this like long-term um, collaboration and relationship with this church and this organization there. So it wasn't just like like a short-term mission thing where you where you went and you sort of got your spiritual high. And then left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, classic wham, wham, bam. Thank you, Lord. Right? <laughs> yeah, like- that's right. Yeah. Um. So, but but that you know, like I I started going and I was five. Like entire families would go. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, and that was pretty. That was pretty neat. And like I saw people grow up. They saw me grow up. Um. And that was like a big part of uh, part of sort of developing an appreciation for the sort of good things that faith can have. Um, and then, uh, in high school, my family moved to, uh, the suburbs of Chicago and that's where I sort of got plugged into more like strictly evangelical stuff. We went to another, uh, UM church, but it was a bit more evangelical and youth group culture in general in the nineties and two thousands, um, was pretty evangelical, just sort of by default. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Like you, Lauren. Those are crazy I, times, man. <laughs> totally crazy times. <laughs> uh, like you, Lauren, I did uh, sing in the worship band. Uh, I played. Oh, nice. Yeah, I played bass 
So. Oh, you played bass too. Oh yeah. I couldn't play any instruments, but I <laughs> I did uh, rock an egg shaker from time to time. I was gonna nice. say you may have smashed a tambourine occasionally. No, no <laughs> well, tambourines. Not advanced enough for tambourine. <laughs> well, no, no, no. That was just kind of. Um, no, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody's got to start somewhere. No. <laughs> that would have been too like gauche. You know, you got to keep it like. Gotta keep it buttoned down with the, <laughs> oh, I see, I with see. the egg shaker. It would have been too expressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can't you can't be too expressive. <laughs> yeah. Um uh the uh, after that, like I I also landed my dream job in high school. Uh I worked at a Christian bookstore, so I got a lot of great books. Oh, nice. Uh, a lot of great literature to read and great Christian music to rock out to. Um, my, um, experience with Christian bookstores is all from when I was pretty young. And so I would, I would be buying like the, like the Christian YA novels and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, were they Amish based? I have or such weird they? memories. <laughs> no, they were like, um, the best was when they would like get some franchise to like go Christian. Like I read a whole like series of books that were like Lassie books. Like it had like Lassie and Timmy. And you know, officially licensed Lassie, officially material. licensed Lassie material, but it was all Christian. <laughs> Sweet. I was going to say, were there like anim, like Christian animorphs? Uh, were there Christian animorphs? I or were animorphs already Christian? No. Okay. Okay. Just check. No. Out. Just check. <laughs> Somebody's got to ask that question occasionally. Yeah, I think animorphs are pretty much bothered. Got it. <laughs> um. Uh, so after high school, I, then I ended up, um, going, I like within high school, I sort of felt like I wanted to become a pastor. I, I don't know if you call that a call, I guess that's the right term. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, well, they certainly call it that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I chose a, a Christian college to go to and that's where, um, where I sort of, I, where I had my like crisis of faith and, uh, I was veered from that path, but, um, yeah, so that's sort of the cliff notes of of my background. And uh, just for for, I'm sure a lot of our listeners also listen to your podcast. In fact, I know they do because they come up together on iTunes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But for any of our listeners who haven't listened to your podcast, uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. Um, so, Exvangelical is really um, is really just focused on people's stories. Uh, so what I'm really, what I'm really interested in and what what really spurred me to start it was, um, basically I I saw a number of people, even just loosely that I was connected to that I went to college with, um, just via Facebook, I, I saw them sort of liberalize and become very different than we all were in college. And I was really interested Mm in, in what, uh, sort of drove those, those changes. Um, so really it's, it's more about people's personal narratives, sort of just how you, um, asked, have asked me just now, like what, what my background was. Um, that's what it, uh, what is really about just getting people's background and then sort of understanding what, um, caused them to, to leave evangelicalism or was there an outside force that, um, kick them out, um, and sort of where they are now. Um, there are plenty of, um, conversations that I have with either authors and things like that, but generally, um, what the show is based off of is that people's stories have power. And there's a lot of, um, common cultural shorthand that, that people from an evangelical background have 
and they also have a lot of if someone leaves evangelicalism they may face uh the same sorts of struggles or uh struggles of identity or struggles uh, not necessarily knowing how to define oneself um because mm-hmm. evangelicalism is really just this very um restrictive sort of thing and it seems like as time goes on, it becomes further and further restrictive as far as what you can uh, be permitted to be or mm-hmm. permitted to believe. Um, and I see that as highly problem- problematic. Um, so um, so that's what the show is about. It's really just about letting um, letting people tell their stories. It's a long, for- long form interview show. So, you know, if you're into long discussions um, or conversations with people just exploring their own uh, story and sharing those things, then please check it out. Um, I think uh, it it can also just be sort of uh, comforting to know that you're not the only person that has like um, gone away from evangelicalism in particular. If that's you, then yeah. uh, then you might find someone's story resonant. Um, so yeah. <laughs> and you've had some pretty big names on. You've had Science Mike on. You've had David Bazan. Mm-hmm. Um. There's definitely entry points for yep, people. Yeah, there are. They can go and listen to a famous one first and then try some other <laughs> right, ones Right, yeah. Or they can listen to ours because it's obviously the It best. is obvious. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's... <laughs> I do have some collections on... Thank you for saying we're better than Science Mike. <laughs> Conversation over. Yeah. <laughs> All right, first John. Yay, first John. Yeah. That's awesome. But now the question everyone has been waiting for... <laughs> What does first what does first John mean? <laughs> so, Blake. <laughs> Blake, help us. Yeah. Um, um what how did you um how did you encounter first John? Uh yeah. So I actually um studied Greek in college. Um so I took a two two straight years of Greek, which is I guess fairly common for like a biblical literature sort of major before you get into the graduate level stuff, which I didn't, I didn't do. But um, what they what they generally do is they give you like a year's worth of grammar um, and just learning the basic function of how Greek works, and then they put you. They at least at my school they put me into a year's worth of just working through First John. <laughs> so. Um, rereading it for for this discussion i sort of forgot how convoluted and crazy it is so so you've read it in the original greek yes but i don't remember it in the original greek (laughs) ah that's that's the key moment in language learning when you start to think in the original (laughs) right yeah yeah so i mean the um the interesting thing about about Greek and what you what you learn when when you're reading through something like this book is that how um, Greek is very influenced by word order. So the meaning of a word is um, signified by the word ending. So in Koine Greek, they could actually like change the word order at, within a sentence to emphasize something which is super interesting, mm-hmm. but it's super different than English. So when, so when you're moving to, uh, to learn Greek, then you're also learning how to basically learn to emphasize the words in which the order in which they come so that you can start mm. to tease out what the, um, 
what the meaning is, which is not really and, easy in this. <laughs> and you said they like they start you with First John. Yeah. After, so this is like. Yeah, yeah. It's because the uh, the limited vocabulary as far as the yeah, like, yeah. the unique words because the the New Testament has around like five thousand unique words, um, and then. You know, classical Greek is much larger than that. First John just says, testimony, 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 <laughs> sin, sin, sin. Light, dark, light, dark, <laughs> yeah. per- perfect love. Light, dark, light. Yeah. Um, so, but but that's really one of the reasons because of its limited vocabulary. Um, if, they, if they dropped you like right in the middle of one of the gospels or even one of the longer Pauline epistles, then, you know, Good luck. You'd you'd lose interest, and you'd uh, <laughs> you'd you'd have a much harder I mean, time. Of it. Might do that even in English. <laughs> <laughs> might, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. depending on the Pauline epistle. That's right. <laughs> um. So, uh, what uh, can you shed any light on this for us? Because you know, so it's it seems uh, well, it does seem simple. Mm-hmm. Like it does have a limited vocabulary. But it's also seems like there's like a lot of paradoxes in it, and it's actually very complicated. Yeah, when I was rereading it now, after having spent like almost ten years on Twitter, I was trying to read it almost like a thread. <laughs> you know, because like each sentence builds off of the other one, but in this sort of crazy uh, way. And I'm trying to just pick a single example. So first John is a tweet storm. Right. Yeah. And then there's a gif of Michael Jackson eating popcorn. <laughs> yes. Nico only joined Twitter recently <laughs> and he only recently learned about responding to things with the Michael Jackson eating popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first John of Twitter. <laughs> so when I uh, invited you on here, you said something about an interesting part of this book is that it's like one of the only places that defines what God is. And it says that God is love. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I, I think that that in particular is a very sort of compelling thing in regards to, um, in regards to this uh, epistle. And it does say earlier that, you know, God is light. And that's also something that um, there's a lot of connection some symbolically uh, between the, introduction to the gospel of John and this, you know, if you read that, then there's a lot of, uh, in the beginning was the word and, 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 you know, as far as the John one five is like the light shines in the dark, the darkness has not yeah. understood it. Oh, interesting. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of those same metaphors that are happening. Um, so a lot of people think that it, as in Genesis. Right. And so, so there's, um, there is a lot of, similarity between those two things so some scholars think that they may have shared an author or at least they shared a source or influence um but the thing that i really love about that passage in particular that's in uh, chapter four is um you know it says beloved let us love one another because love is from god everyone who loves is born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god for god is love like to me, that is even reading that now in a much different place than I was, you know, 12 years ago when I first read that, like that in and of itself, I think is a, is and always will be like a revolutionary idea that, that, um, whatever God might be that, that God is personified or defined as love as a pretty compelling and 
fabulous idea, <laughs> like as opposed mm-hmm. to something, someone that's looking for judgment or, um, or that sort of thing. That is something that sort of stuck out and, and has stayed with me even, you know, over a decade later. And yet there's a lot of stuff also in the book that's about if you sin, you're in darkness and, and there are sins that lead to death. Yep. <laughs> how how do, how do you reconcile those two? Which sort of, in my mind, not to interrupt, but sort of seems to imply some level of judgment of some kind. And if God is love, does love judge? Yeah. Maybe love does judge. Maybe love does judge. Yeah, and I... Um, I I don't know. <laughs> so like to me like <laughs> uh uh I I don't know how to reconcile those parts of the even this same epistle because they are they are very disparate but at the same yeah I Yeah, they're yeah, paradoxical. They're very paradoxical and it seems to be at the uh, <laughs> you know, it's trying to define what um what what love is or who is your brother or how or how do you know who is from God? Um, but the way in which I sort of, I, I'm reading it in a much more, uh, inclusive light now than I, than I was even Mm -hmm. back then, you know, if you do not love, then you do not know God. So it does. So in my mind, I'm making the stretch that if, even if someone's a Christian and they do not love, then they don't know God. Um, but if someone is not a Christian and they do love, then that person knows God. And I think that is sort of borne out in, um, you know, God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Like, like that's crazy. Like, uh, that's abiding and abiding and abiding, but, <laughs> and that. The, <laughs> What's the Greek for abiding? <laughs> I don't remember. Um, but it's. This, this book does place an emphasis on like works. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you need to like love people and help people and that's how you show love for god it's it says like there's that line that's like let's not be about words let's be about actions right. mm-hmm. um which i do think is really compelling yeah and so in in that respect i mean um it it does say love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness on the day of judgment um but then it goes on to say um we you know, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear for fear has to do with punishment. Whereas fear is not reached perfection in love. That perfection, I think, means like almost in the grammatical sense, like perfect tense, like it's been completed. Ooh, a grammar. <laughs> I like that. Um, so and so to me, this is where this is where I still have this this sort of affection for this epistle. What was um when you were learning this in Greek, was there like an attitude from the from the teacher or from the school about like a certain interpretation of it? Um, no, my uh, my professor would often very like uh, would would express his sort of uh, his sort of view, but he always had this disclaimer. Feel free to get, disagree with me. Like it was almost like a tick. Um, he would just say it all the time, um, to the point where, you know, all of his students would say it in reference to him. Um, but generally like (laughs) Greek is actually what honestly led to my, (laughs) my crisis of faith, because like learning about it is what, when you learn that, um, even if you, 
didn't necessarily consciously believe it. Like if you thought the Bible was perfect or authoritative or literal or whatever, uh, you sort of see how the sausage is made and like you see the the level of complexity around the scholarship. Um, and like revisiting this now, it reminds me of just how much thought uh, and effort goes into trying to make something like this short freaking epistle like make any sense <laughs> yeah um awesome well i can't say you solved all of our problems <laughs> but i was really hoping that you would give us like the direct line to god but, right. like whatever yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sorry about that maybe next ma- maybe next yeah. time maybe next time <laughs> yeah. oh and the other thing i've the other thing I forgot to mention, I have a new Bible for you guys. I'm reading from a different Bible that you guys haven't mentioned before. What is it? It's called the Green Bible. And the it, what? The Green Bible. As in the color green. Yes. Instead of red letters. This is the has, environmentally friendly Bible. It's printed on recycled paper. It actually is. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it, instead well, I got to pick one of these up. It's full of recycled opinions. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's, um, it's has, instead of red letters, it has green letters. And it's all of the green oh, letters cute. highlight things relative to creation and taking care of the environment. For real. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is so cute. <laughs> I love this Bible. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what my grad school was about, was creation care, which is a whole different thing. Um, oh, so. I wish that was like, I wish that would become bigger. I wish that would become a big trend. It was until the financial um, crisis. That's my master's thesis there for you. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my God. Well, we'll have to have you on another time to talk about your master's thesis. <laughs> uh, but for now, uh, where can people find you on the Internet? Um, you can find me uh, first by subscribing to Exvangelical anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm also on Twitter at Br Chastain. The show's at Exvangelical Pod, and also um, if you're looking for other people to chat with that have uh, left evangelicalism, then you can also search for Exvangelical on the on Facebook, and there's a a vibrant community there. There's like over 1800 people in the group. Um, so there's lots of conversations happening around all sorts of different stuff relative to deconstruction or whatever you might like to term it. So, (laughs) (laughs) and we always warn people about chatting online because you simply never know with the internet and everything, but that sounds like a very attractive thing (laughs) on the internet. No one knows you're an ex evangelical dog. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's correct. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for talking to us and for being super flexible about scheduling. We super appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I couldn't enlighten you further. (laughs) (laughs) Apology accepted. Thanks, Blake. See you on the Internet. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I think there's only one thing left to do, my dear, and that's to rate this book (gasps) as we do every week. (gasps) Okay, we'll rate it. Fine. Just this to us, though. (laughs) I'll give this one to you. We'll rate it. How would you rate this book? I'm going to give this one 69 out of 420 (laughs) testimonies, I think. Nice. Yeah, it's not great. It's not a great one. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the reasoning seems a bit circular. <laughs> uh, it seems to contradict itself a lot. And I understand that that can be, you know, the heart of some spiritual journeys is that contradiction. Yeah. But uh, I'm not really feeling it on this one. Sure. Uh, language is quite plain, as we discussed. That's how you learn Greek, baby. I guess so. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what makes it seem so, like, to use a word, dumb, hmm. is, the, is, the, is the very small vocabulary, hmm. you know? Sure. Um, but then again, isn't that actually smart? <laughs> when you think about it. You're right. You know, when I thought about it, I realized that I was the dumb one. Hmm. I think that's what this book is about. Mm-hmm. Making me feel dumb? It's, I think... Then the, my rating is justified, I'd the say. The thesis of this book is, when you think about it, aren't I the dumb one? <laughs> I wouldn't give it, like, uh, I don't know, four out of nine concluding affirmations. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's whatever. <laughs> I, the, I do like... The bit that's like, let's not just be about words, let's be about actions. Yeah. And um, the concept of God as love is a very interesting concept. Yeah. If It's if not it, very well explored in the yeah, text, I'd say. Yeah. Especially so, its ramifications in terms of everything else in the Bible about God. <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'll give it a three out of nine. Hey, no, I'm not trying. Look. Never change your rating because of what I say. Once you give your rating, it's set in stone. That's right. It's like the Ten Commandments. That's right. But Moses broke the first set of the Ten Commandments. That's right. But they didn't change. Those were negative nine through zero. Wow. <laughs> Good job not making it negative ten. Zero counts. Zero is an integer. Is zero an integer? Does zero count as an integer? Doesn't matter. Let's move on to the mailbag. Oh, let me crack this. Let me crack this bag. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see who's living in the bag this week. Oh, look at that. It's listener Peter. Oh, look at that. Who sent us a belated Christmas email, which says that, quote, a running joke with my dad and myself is that Silent Night, Holy Night was the source of the Eucharist with the line, holy infant, so tender and mild, sounding more like a description of a good meal than of a religious mm. leader. Well, you know, they did eat babies occasionally in... Uh... In Jerusalem when they were under siege. That's so, true. That's in the Bible. That is in the Bible. Oh. <laughs> uh, listener Sarah sent us an what email. Kind of, what kind of food would be good, so tender and mild? Uh, chicken? Mild? Kangaroo? I mean, frankly, if I was eating... Alligator. I mean, stop. You had a good one. Oh. Just cool it. I don't know. I'm a vegetarian. I understand that. But any food could be tender and mild. So you were the one that went to meats right away. As <laughs> yeah, because we're talking about eating babies. As if they were some sort of forbidden fruit, you know, <laughs> that you fantasized about constantly. We're talking about Jesus' flesh. Mm-hmm. Talk about Jesus' flesh here. Any, if you would just listen to me for a second, I would tell you <laughs> that if I ate kangaroo meat uh -huh. and it was both tender and mild, yeah. that seems like it's a good cut of roux right there. <laughs> Great. Well, then I solved the problem. Didn't I? That's what I was trying to give you credit for until you hopped all over my GD back. <laughs> Thank you for not taking the Lord's name in vain. Listener Sarah sent us an email about how, uh, long story short, she went to a Catholic school as a kid and wanted to get baptized Catholic, but the nuns said 
that she would have to get letters from all her friends and family stating that it was uh, completely her dad's first wife's fault that they got divorced. Great. That's a fine burden to put on a young person. Yes. Um, She had a couple other great stories for us, but she also says she's a stand-up comedian and that she's using some of this material in her act. So instead of giving you spoilies, I'm going to say to hear the rest of her stories, you should go to Vancouver and see uh, Sarah Stupar perform. Or look her up, I'm sure she's got vids, pics. All sorts of images still and moving mm-hmm. that may or may not incorporate her Catholic childhood. I want to thank you again for joining us on Sunday School Dropouts this week. It's Sunday been a Dropouts. pleasure to have you and to hold you. Your attention, that is. <laughs> I hope so, at least. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Anyway, now we say goodbye. But first, we tell you that we are on Twitter at SunSchoolDrop. And Facebook at the same URL. And also, we're on tpublic.com. You can buy our little merchies, T-E-E, public.com, slash Sunday School Dropouts. You can also email us if you have questions, concerns, uh, comments, or delightful and wonderful cool pet friends to bless or curse. You can do so at contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. That's .lol, not .com. I heard sundayschooldropouts.com was where everyone was getting together to plan the end of the world. Oh. But not in a cool way. Oh. Actually in a lame way. Mm. Mm-hmm. So stay away. Mm. Nico does all our sound engineering, music, and editing. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You can follow Lauren on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. You can follow Nico on Twitter at Nico Bakulich, N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. Uh, thank you to Elise Carlton for our logo. Check out Nico's uh, website, nicobaculich.com, for musics and such. Thanks again to Blake for joining us for the episode tonight. We will see you next week on Sunday School Dropouts, where we simply continue to drop out. Of Sunday School. Will the process ever complete? Will the truancy officers <laughs> ever find us smoking in the girls' room? <laughs> Answer. You'll simply have to listen next week to find out. My name is Nico. I'm Lauren. And we'll see you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.